Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Do you ever dread going to work? How could you make the workplace a better environment? Whether you're an employee or an employer, how would you instill an attitude of gratitude in the workplace and make going to work a much more enjoyable experience? Joining us today is Todd Patkin, author of Finding Happiness, and today we're going to tap into the power of thanks, six effective and affordable ways to improve your organization's morale, motivation, and bottom line. Welcome, Todd, and we're really looking forward to our discussion today. Maybe you can share with our audience before we get into subject matters what motivated you to write that book. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Tony. You know, I had a nervous breakdown, to be honest with you, just to jump right into it at the age of 36. I had always been incredibly successful with A's and then growing my business from $10 million to $100 million and selling it for a lot of money. But I realized when I had my breakdown that success without happiness really isn't success at all. When you have a breakdown, you're literally suicidal for a day or two. That's how bad you feel about yourself. And I have the most beautiful wife, wonderful son. My company was soaring, and I knew something just didn't make sense. And what I was doing is what most Americans do. We just pick at ourselves terribly. We do 100 things right for every one thing we do wrong. And it all goes back, I think, to the American success story, which taught our grandparents to just keep looking at what they could do wrong to improve because they couldn't believe that they could build their own businesses and be successful. And they wanted their grandkids to be happy in America. But what they didn't realize is that we become like our parents. So my dad, like his dad, was a workaholic just looking at what he did wrong. I grew up the same way. When you're just looking at what you do wrong, you certainly become more successful, but you also become terribly depressed because you're always feeling bad about yourself if you're just focusing on the things that you should do better and could do better. So that's what motivated me to write the book, to try to bring more happiness to America. I travel the country. I try to destigmatize mental illness. I hate the term, but that's the term we use. I speak on college campuses and high schools. The suicide rate's going up dramatically in high schools and colleges and kids inflicting harm upon themselves through cutting and burning themselves. And I think it all goes back to this idea that we've forgotten about happiness. Kids don't hear from people like myself who've gone through tough times and overcome them because nobody shares their stories of depression because of the stigma. So I want to bring all this out in the open so kids, hopefully, instead of choosing a path of destruction or cutting themselves or killing themselves, will realize this is all part of life, tough times, and you can get through them. We greatly appreciate you being willing to just share your honesty and openness about your personal experience, and I think this is a wonderful thing for our listeners. Whether you're an employer or an employee, I think you can really gain from today's topic as we kind of delve deeper into your book, Finding Happiness. Todd, in many organizations, daily operations, of course, are so busy and stressful, and showing gratitude is fairly low on the list of priorities. Learning from your experiences, how can leaders begin to create a culture of thanks at their organization? I think so much of it's a priority. I mean, it just came naturally to me. I just love people, so I hug everybody. I tell everybody how much I appreciate them and how great they are. A lot of times, I think the problem with managers and leaders and companies, maybe it's ego, maybe it isn't, but they believe it's their job to catch their employees making mistakes and correct them. But to be honest with you, I felt the opposite. My job every day was to find my employees doing things right, build them up to the heavens, tell them how great they were. You have to understand that employees will always tell you that the number one reason that they're with you is for money, but it's not true. Once people are making enough to survive, then it's all about do they feel loved? Do they feel respected? Everybody wants to feel the way they did when they brought home a report card and their mom put it on the refrigerator door. Big people are like little people. So if you're making your people feel like a million bucks, they'll want to 
to keep getting that positive reinforcement. Conversely, if you're making them feel lousy because you're always telling them what they do wrong, they'll do just enough to keep their jobs, but they'll really feel resentful and they won't do as well. There's actually a new TED Talk as well, which is a speech that was done recently by a brilliant man in Harvard, and they have studies now that show that happy employees are much more productive than employees who aren't happy. In fact, that's the number one theme in the Harvard Business Review this month, the January-February edition. And that just seems so logical. Maybe you could talk about just two simple words, thank you in the office place, and how does that work when a boss says thank you to one of his employees, but also the reciprocal of that, what happens when an employee says thank you to the boss? I think a lot of it is how you do it. If you're just thanking everybody walking by them, thank you, thank you, thank you, it certainly doesn't mean as much as if you take two minutes to call someone into your office and say, you know, I got it, just thank you. I need you to know I feel so lucky every single day to have you in my company. You're just the greatest employee. Thank you so much for all you do for me. And that doesn't mean when they make a mistake that you can't let them know that what they did was wrong. It's a way of love, you know. It's like with your kids. You should be giving them unconditional love. But certainly if they get a C on their report card when you know they could have gotten a B or an A, you're still going to hit them over the head. So the more you build them up, the more they know how much you love them, then when you have to correct them, they'll want to make that correction even more for you. In terms of people appreciating you, of course, if an employee lets you know how much you mean to them, you've changed their whole life because of the opportunity you've given them at work and how happy they are every day, that makes you feel great. Well, and that's a phenomenal approach. One of the challenges I think business owners have is no matter how much they want to reward their employees, many leaders just don't have the financial resources to maybe give out much-deserved raises and bonuses. So share some ideas on how leaders can use gratitude to kind of make up for not being able to show their employees appreciation through monetary benefits. It's so easy for managers to cop out. You know, I don't have the money. I can't appreciate my employees. We know that if you use a corollary, an analogy with charity, people say, well, I can't give money, so how can I be charitable? It means so much more when you read to a blind person. It means so much more when you go to a soup kitchen and actually help out in the kitchen. So it's not about money. It's about writing a personal note to an employee, telling them how much you appreciate them. I did something very unique when I had a star in the company do something outrageous. I would call their home in the middle of the day, purposely in the middle of the day, so I wouldn't get anyone to answer the phone. I'd get the answer machine, and I would say to the husband or wife and the kids, Dear Jeannie, your husband, and little Billy and Emily, your father, what he just did for this company today was the most unbelievable thing in the world. When he comes home, kids jump on him, kiss him, hug him, tell him he's the greatest dad, and please just give him the greatest night ever. Let him know that you got a call from Todd, who he works with, not for, at Autopart, and said it's amazing. He broke the all-time sales record for the Manchester store, and boy, do we love him. And that is something they remembered for the rest of their life, a lot more than if I gave them a monetary bonus. That's an awesome story. I don't know of any business that couldn't incorporate that in when a star employee really shines. doesn't cost anything. Yeah, that's just incredible. In your book, you talk about love notes, which is maybe kind of on the same page, but it might be a little over to the top. Some people might be thinking, talk about what your definition of love notes and how you incorporate that into your business and showing appreciation for employees. Again, you have to be careful. A lot of people say, Todd, you know, you tell everyone to hug their employees, but if people aren't comfortable, they could get a lawsuit. So, so much of it is just that I'm comfortable with all of that stuff. Because I hug everybody, I'm not going to have a woman take 
take it the wrong way. And when I say love notes, it's just thank you notes. It's a personal note, though. It's more than just writing thank you. You actually take the time to say thank you and make it explicit. Ever since I hired you six years ago, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I always have a smile in the morning. When I get in a jam, you bail me out. What you did last week for me was amazing. Then it's always smart to remember their daughter's names, their son's names, their birthdays. What would mean more to them? Certain people, it's a $5 ice cream. You know, they just love ice cream. Other people, they love going to the opera or the theater. So you want to try to make it specific to them so they know that you remembered and it makes a huge difference. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about some other examples and ways that you have shown appreciation and gratitude to your employees. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Don't forget to visit the Resources for You section on your Real Wealth Professionals website. You'll find links to many educational tools and resources. You'll also find a must-read section including many great authors who have been guests on past programs. Feel free to order any books that interest you or someone you know. Welcome as we are continuing our conversation today with author and philanthropist Todd Patkin. And Todd, we're diving a little bit deeper into your book this time, Finding Happiness, and you're a guest that's been willing to join us again and kind of talk about this particular issue of really tapping into the power of thanks. We're discussing different ways to improve your organization's morale, motivation, and bottom line. Before the break, we were talking about this phenomenal approach that you use of calling employees home during the day to leave a powerful message on an answering machine to kind of inspire the family to gather around the successes of that employee. I got to believe that years later, you probably get compliments from that versus maybe some monetary bonus that you probably provided someone. So that's pretty powerful. What about some other examples of how employers can really show their employees their appreciation? You know, you walk into a lot of businesses today and you'll see this poster up in the front that says employee of the month, identifying stars. Can you maybe address the impact of that? Well, with me, what I had is an entire newsletter. It started out with my manager of the month, and eventually it went to six or seven as we did better. And then I'd add assistant of the month, and I'd add driver of the month, and supervisor of the month. And it literally would be a 30-page letter if we had a great record-breaking month. And each manager of the month, I'd write a full page about why they were such a special person as well as employee. And I know that it made them feel great, and I know that that's something they probably kept for a long, long time. Every amount of energy that you put into your employees will come back to you tenfold. But it's very important you make it a priority. As we all know in business, what you focus on, you succeed at. So if you just say, geez, you know, I listened to this guy, Todd Pack, and I'm going to spend more time in my employees, a week will go by, a month will go by, the year will go by, and you will have failed at that. What you need to do if you're a guy is put right next to your shaving kit in the morning or if you're a woman next to your makeup kit in the morning, a note that says, this week, each day, my number one job will be to find an employee doing something right, praise them, make them feel great, and 
another employee to write a thank you note to before I do anything else that day. It's really about setting a priority in order to succeed at what's important. I know for myself, if you're going to set a priority, you got to put it in your calendar. Otherwise, the activities of the day, you just kind of have these intentions, but you never deliver on them. What did you use to make sure that you covered that? A lot of times I'd have little notes right next to my pen when I do in my office that every day I'd pick up my pen. It would say, remember, each day your number one job is to find one person doing something right, tell them how much you love them and appreciate them. So that was always very important. Call at least one store today, find out how their sales are. If it's good, tell them they're great. If it's bad, tell them they have to work harder. Everybody used to say that when I finally left the company after I sold it. They said the big thing they missed was the owner calling the store and having that personal touch. So it's reminding yourself. We're all so busy that everything will get away from us. Maybe you think it's more important for you to sit all day and go through the financials on your desk, but trust me, it's not. The employees out in the field are the ones that are actually making you the money. In essence, you could say, you know, who's really my boss? My boss or the employees that are actually going to enable us to feed our families. So you just got to keep them happy. Employees are the key to everything. That's awesome. What are some other examples, Todd, of appreciation that you've shown your employees that have really made an impact? I think one of the big things is how do you handle employees when they make terrible mistakes? Because that builds relationships. I had an employee in New Hampshire. I remember he wanted to use a different brand of brake pads than our company used. And I said, I think it's a huge mistake. My dad did as well. But we said, as long as you get a guaranteed buyback. So he bought $15,000 worth of this brake pad. Sure enough, six months later, they didn't sell and he wanted to return them. And he couldn't because when they first arrived, he wasn't aware when he bought them that they'd be coming through a warehouse in his town, which was a competitor. So he didn't want everyone to think that they could just go to the competitor and buy it cheaper. So he ripped off all the labels that had all the barcodes on them. Without the barcodes, he couldn't return it. So it cost me 15 grand. And instead of me firing him or yelling at him or making him feel stupid, I just did what my dad did with me when I made mistakes. I said to him, Donnie, listen, obviously that wasn't great, but you didn't do it on purpose. We're going to be together forever. Did you learn from it? He said, yeah. And I said, all right, so it cost us a lot of money, but you've learned from it. And, you know, spread the word so that in the future, less people make mistakes like that. And let's move on. I think that, even though it's kind of the reverse, I mean, that's like giving him a bonus. You know, he thought he was going to be fired or he thought it was going to come out of his paycheck. So a lot of it is how do you handle things when they don't go right, I think is very, very important. I think including people is huge. Everybody wants to feel like they're part of the game. So let's say that we're not having a good year and we need to come up with a new sales strategy. Way too many companies have 100 stores with 3,000 employees out in the field that really know what would make a difference because they talk to their customers every day. But then you've got the people who went to Harvard, big schools in the main office, and they think they're so much smarter than the people in the field because they didn't have a college degree, so they just dictate down. Even if I knew that I was going to do something, guys, I would always include my people and at least let them think they were involved. To be honest with you, most of the time they would come up with something and I'd say, my God, you guys are actually smarter than me. But even if I was going to do something, always have people feel they're involved in the process because otherwise you feel small and you just don't feel good about yourself. That keeps promoting the team spirit. You also mentioned in the book about kind of distributing inspiration. Talk about that a little bit. I was a motivational speaker. I always listened to motivational tapes and motivational books, so I'd always share them with people. I would talk to people about how to be a better dad, how to be a better mom, sister, brother, whatever. I would send out motivational messages every morning. So often in America, we just watch TV and read the paper, and that's negative. What sells advertising for these newspapers is about earthquakes and rape and governments that are corrupt. 
unfortunately, that's what people seem to want to read. They don't want to read the good stories about the guy who saved the kid who was about to be killed by a car and pushed him aside. The car broke the man's leg, but he's still alive. So we want to send out inspiration. If you believe you can do it, you can do anything. These kind of little messages in the morning. Why don't we expand that to one other area, and that is for business owners and even the employees that are working with customers. What about sharing gratitude with the customers? Well, that was the key. My employees learned from me. At one point, I said to my employees, and they didn't like this very much because it was auto parts, and 90% of the people who worked for me were young men. And at one point, I said, our goal this year is for you guys to start acting more like women. I said, I'm convinced that if you act more like the women behind the Bloomingdale's counters, I think you're familiar with Bloomingdale's, right? Who's not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I said, look, if you remember people's birthdays, if you send thank you cards, if you say thank you, it will make a huge difference. And it propelled us through the roof, guys, because in auto parts, in the beginning, it was just these big guys who wore ripped T-shirts and they'd sell you parts, but you were kind of bothering them if you called on the phone because they'd rather be just reading the paper or reading an auto magazine. And we turned it around. We had very high gross margins because we treated people like gold. And so I said to the guys, I want you to act more like that. And all of a sudden they realized, you know, if I feel so great about Todd remembering my birthday and sending me a birthday card and Todd appreciating me and I'm willing to do so much more for him because of the love he's giving me, well, doesn't it make sense that my customers will give me more business if I treat them that way? And so then we started doing amazing things for our customers, thinking outside the box. Maybe we couldn't call a customer's house and tell their wife how much we appreciated their business, but we started sending ice cream trucks around. We'd rent an ice cream truck once a year. We'd send it around to all of our best customers in August, in Boston in August. It could be 110 degrees. You know, something different to show appreciation, to be wacky, to make them say, geez, why the hell am I giving some business to Mike's Auto Parts? I should be giving it all to this fun, amazing company, Auto Part International. This ties so much into, I guess, what I see, and this is just my reaction as a consumer out there in the marketplace today, that customer service just kind of seems to be at an all-time low. And I think sometimes that that's driven from the top. And so what you're talking about is creating an environment where people truly enjoy the services that they provide. They're not just showing up for a paycheck. And obviously that has to impact the bottom line. I talked to so many people today that said, man, it was a challenge to just order a product today. And these folks should be glad to have business in today's economic environment. But it seems like either they're bummed in their job or they're just not believing in their product or not happy about their circumstance, that it really shows in the level of customer service that they deliver. So these tips that you're sharing ultimately have to change that bottom line. Is that how you saw your growth and success? You talked about how you grew your business so significantly. I have to imagine happy employees made a big difference. Yeah, so much of it was that I was young when I came into the business. So my attitude was, why shouldn't people my age, just because they didn't come with my last name, why shouldn't they have a chance to earn eighty or $100,000 if they're able to move our bottom line from 50000 a year to $500,000 a year? Before me, there was an unwritten rule in the industry that only the owners made more than forty grand a year. So, so much of it had to do with the fact that it was all commission-based. So I taught people that if you treated people like gold and if you gave them amazing customer service, they'd buy more from you. I taught my managers to change the way they viewed a phone call at 531. In the past, we would close the store at 530. So let's say they got a call at 531. In the past, they would, of course, not answer it. I taught them to say to themselves, ka-ching, 531, if the guy needs a part, and can be a good customer. Right now, he's giving me 100 a month and someone else 10,000 a month. I'll run to the ends of the earth for him, even if I don't get home till 10 at night, because he'll appreciate it and it will slide all the business my way. So we taught people it was all about customer service. And then we charged the customer for it. When I first was in the business, 
the average store was doing 32,000 a month at a 34 mark. When we sold the company, the average store was doing 110 at a 46 mark. So we charged for it. People are willing to pay for that service. But it's just a matter of when you go to work, is your attitude, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make the customer as happy as he can so I earn as much as I possibly can for my family, or is it I'm just going to work from 8 to 5 and try just to get through the day? Well, that's incredible. You know, as you're telling that situation, I was thinking back to a retail environment that I was in recently. And many times, certainly around the holiday season, these return counters are very busy and naturally you've got a lot of people bringing products back and that's obviously a customer service opportunity. In this situation, this person was returning something. They had to go out to get something from their car and come back. So naturally the customer service person took the next person in line and when they came back in, they all at the same time took a phone call. The customer service person next to this person said, hey, your person is back and they kind of belted out, well, they're just going to have to wait. So the person on the phone heard this, everybody in the environment heard this, I actually turned to look at the person, and Todd, you could just see their entire facial expression change from, they almost felt singled out. Now, I wouldn't come back, I guess, I mean, I'd get my transaction over with and say, man, if that's how I'm going to be treated, what a substantial difference from what you just described. Yeah. Jeffrey Gittimer has a book called Customer Satisfaction is Worthless, Customer Loyalty is Priceless. And I highly recommend it to anyone. It became the sales Bible for my company where he just talks about how awful customer service is in this country, which is a tremendous opportunity for all of your listeners. I mean, if everybody is giving good customer service, we'd all have a tough time. But because so many people are awful, when you decide to send an ice cream truck around, what I found in my business, and this is true and it's amazing, if I gave... Let's say somebody was a manager at a Midas or a Meineke or a different repair shop. Because my business was all wholesale. I didn't do retail. We became like the dominoes. And again, I know I'm using different lingo. I think these are all national companies. But basically, we realized we couldn't compete with the big boys. So we would have seven trucks in each store. And you would call us if you didn't fix your car yourself. You'd bring it to a local place. They'd call us, would have it. We'd get it there in a hurry so you didn't have to wait too long with screaming kids. We basically became tremendous, tremendous at just delivering the parts and getting the parts there as quick as we possibly could. And it made just a huge, huge difference for the customer. Well, and in a competitive environment today, you stand out pretty easy, again, when customer service seems to be at an all-time low. Hey, let's kind of close this today with a bit of an action plan, but let's do it from two different perspectives. You share from an employer's perspective on how to increase that enthusiasm in the workplace and by sharing gratitude. So if I'm an employer... Start me out with a simple action plan, because let's say I'm pretty poor at this. What would be the first place that you'd counsel someone to start just beginning some one of your tools of the trade here of how to share gratitude among your employees, just to begin the process? The first thing you have to do is decide. Tony Robbins teaches that decide, in its Latin term, means to break with the past. So these are things where you're literally going to change the way you are, which is very difficult, because you have a certain personality that you had in grade school and high school. You have to feel the pain that maybe the business isn't doing as well as you'd like, and you need to feel it and really commit to making this change. That's the key. If you're an alcoholic, you have to almost get thrown out of the house by your wife or husband who says you'll never see your kids again if you're not going to change. So I want you to really make the decision you're going to change and write it on a piece of paper and say every day my number one goal for the next year is to become a much more empathetic boss. And again, that doesn't mean that you don't nail people when they do bad. 
but it does mean that you're definitely going to do the best you can. And then it's simply every day I'm going to do two things. I'm going to find someone to write them a thank you note for something they did great or that I saw that they did great. And I'm just going to spend more time being out on the floor with my employees, bring my employees in every quarter to come up with one new way that we can show our customers how much we appreciate them and our employees how much we appreciate them. That's excellent. That's really two simple things that any employer should be able to integrate in their day. And I bet you within a very short period of time, you will certainly see a return on investment. Just briefly, what about from an employee's perspective? If let's say you've got a grumpy old boss and you're trying to bring kind of a happier environment into the area, if you're an employee, how can you maybe interject this concept of gratitude in the workplace? There's actually a new study out. It says that you'll be the average of the five people you spend the most time with in terms of your happiness levels. So if there's a way that you can just become the most positive, happy guy around, I think it will rub off on your boss. And even if he can't change, boy, will he appreciate you because he'll realize it's deficiency with him and you're kind of making up for that. So it will start to rub off on everybody else. You just got to do the best you can. And if you say, but everybody else is negative and I try to do it and it brings me down, then you want to listen to motivational tapes every day. You can go to my website, www.FindingHappinessTheBook.com, to my 12-week program to living a happier life. And in my second week, at the end, you can see my suggested reading and my suggested listening list. So at least you'll have someone who can keep you positive. You get to the office, you stay positive, and then at the end of the day, you're pretty beat up because so many people are negative. You listen to the motivation or read it again at night. Now, one last question for you, Todd. You said you've spoken to kids at high schools and things like that throughout the country. If someone wanted to engage you as a speaker, how do they go about doing that? All they need to do is either go to my website, findinghappinessthebook.com, or they can call my office, 781-784-6204, extension 200. I'd be happy to have them call my cell phone, 508-577-8565. I'm not hiding from everybody. I'm here. I'd love to talk. I'm in Boston. I'm actually going to be in the Oakland, California area, speaking at the Pleasanton School District. That's a real high-achieving school district in the end of this month in California. I want to bring my message to kids and parents about raising happy, successful kids as opposed to kids that are just stressed out of their minds these days thinking they have to be perfect, they have to do everything, and it's just too much for them. Todd, this has been just fantastic, and you've instilled an attitude of gratitude with us. We really appreciate you sharing with us today, and we look forward to having you join us again in the future. Well, I really appreciate it, guys. Anytime I can be with you, Jim, and and you, Tony, for me, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your real wealth advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real wealth advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you.
you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.